This is Songs in the Wilderness, presented by Diane Redman. Hello, I'm Di Redmond, and I'm your host for today's Songs in the Wilderness. In this program, we listen to the songs that have influenced our guests throughout their life and have influenced their faith. Today, I have the privilege of speaking to Kenneth Wheatcroft from Cambridge. Morning. How are you, Kenneth? Uh, morning, Diane, and good morning, Radio Maria, and good morning, all listeners. It's a great honour and joy to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's a pleasure, a real pleasure. Um, I know you're, you know, you're an established Cambridge figure, uh, which we'll talk about uh, much more detail later on. But your early life was in Lancashire, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I was born in Oldham in. 1946, uh, middle of three brothers. Dad was a church verger and caretaker of the parish school. So we had a, a very strong Christian upbringing. Uh, Mum eventually worked as a post office clerk. We all became choir boys at St Thomas Werneth, Oldham, which was the parish church where Dad worked. I think well, what's the, what's the blessing? What's the goodness of being acquired by? I think the, the nearer the altar you get, the more your faith is kindled. <laughs> An obvious example of that is the time that you become a communicant. You can't get really much nearer than that. But there was uh, also a lot of fun in being a choir boy. I bet. I'll never forget my very first day. It was a Sunday in the winter of 1954. Dora Bryan, the famous Oldham mm. stage and film actress, was to be married in the church that afternoon. Wow. Dad dug a channel through the snow for her to pass through from her limousine into the church. <laughs> but at the morning service, which was my first service as a choir boy, I was given a cassock that was at least a foot too long. <laughs> It had oh, to be recital. <laughs> I was greatly humiliated. And I said to mum that I'm not going back in the afternoon. <laughs> so my claim to fame as a choir boy was that I was the one who refused to attend Dora Bryan's wedding. <laughs> it's, a, it's a story. Uh, it, but it speaks also, I think, of the vanity which some claim has marked my life. Uh, looking back at these early days, my formation in the faith, it was in those days that I came to feel and understand the beauty of holiness and the depth of devotion that Christians have for the Lord and for each other. Even as a little boy? Yeah, I think that that time in that church I began to feel holiness. I always remember Dad, he would always be the last person to receive communion, and he would kneel there in his verger's robes. And that's the image I had of him after his dying day. Mm -hmm. It was his intense holiness, and that's always stayed with me. Yeah. Yeah, um, was, was your mother equally as religious? Well... I decided to begin coming into this world uh, when she was at Mass in St. James's Oldham. So you might say, yes, she was very 
she was very um, religious too, and it, perhaps it was a mark of my faith that it was during the Eucharist that I decided that I would come into the world. Yeah, perfect. Perfect timing. Yeah. Now, your choice yeah. of records are interesting, apart from, I mean, they were interesting anyway, but you're following a sort of the rhythm of the liturgical year, aren't you? Which is nice. Well, I thought that would be easy because it has an order. Yeah. Mm, lovely. So, delightfully, your first one is O Come All You Faithful, a good rousing carol. Yeah. Okay. Shall we hear it? Um, do you want me to say a bit, a bit about why I've chosen yes. it? Or, yes, can um, you? Well, with my 40 years in the retail trade, <laughs> December was quite exhausting. It was our busiest month. And joining the crowds of people to sing this hymn on Christmas morning, it, it was always the start of my Christmas. And it, it celebrates the day, it celebrates family, the Christian family coming together, oh, come all ye faithful. But also, of course, it has the most sublime theology. If you take verse 3, God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created, O come, let us adore him. I think only St. John could have put it better than that. It's absolutely devastatingly lovely, and it's wonderful to hear it sung. Let's hear it.
It's amazing to hear that Christmas carol nearly just past Midsummer Day. Isn't it extraordinary? Yes, but in Australia, they have to celebrate Christmas in summer. <laughs> no, it's lovely. I love that hymn. Um, so can we talk about, um, if, if you don't mind, your priestly vocation? Yeah, certainly. What a question that is. Can we talk about your priestly vocation, Kenneth? <laughs> well, I can say what I like to say, can't I? <laughs> of course you can. Um, well, looking back again, um, one Sunday, I think I would have been about age 15, Mum took me to Mass at the neighbouring Anglo-Catholic Church. And that was the tradition in which she and Dad had met and had married. Well, for me, it was love at first sight. The beauty, the vestments, the incense, the ritual. And it crystallised a feeling for priestly vocation. I was accepted as an ordinand by the Diocese of Manchester and recommended to read a degree in mathematics before beginning theology. And in those days, that was the wisdom. It's a good wisdom, I think. So you did something first. So in 1965, I went up to St. Chad's College, Durham, to begin my university days, determined to be a priest, moreover, determined to be a celibate priest. The college had been founded to train Anglican ordinands and it still retained that function in part. These were exciting years. The Second Vatican Council had met in Rome. Oh, yes. It had a, a, a quite formative influence on those of us who were destined to become Catholic. Well, I completed my degree and I began to study theology. But all was not well. My vocation soon crumbled. Oh. I can't go into detail, but I'll admit two common troubles which afflict young men. <laughs> One, the scourge of depression. And secondly, difficulties which, with what are now called the, the rites of passage. Mm. I've come painfully to realise that the road to the priesthood is hard and it's fraught with danger. And we must do our utmost to support and encourage those we know who set out on that road and indeed those priests who have achieved the end of that road. Mm. So by that time, beginning of the 70s, a time of great darkness had come upon me and I think in that way, we should now move on to Good Friday. Okay, the reproaches. Yes, yes, let's do that. Well, I mean, heavens, how many people have done that journey, Kenneth, and, and experienced depression, but also there must have been incredible enlightenment too in that time. And thank you for telling us. Mm. So we're on to uh, the reproaches by Tomas Louis de, de Victoria. Yes, tell us about yes. this choice. Yeah, well, the reproaches are the the musical core of the Good Friday liturgy. Mm -hmm. They're sung during the veneration of the cross. You'll know that, die. that is when they're mm. sung. Oh, yes. So it's very clear from the text that the Lord casts these reproaches on the people who in history crucified him. Because I led you out of the land of Egypt, you have prepared a cross for your saviour. 
but it's the genius of Christian liturgy that it brings the history of salvation into the present. So the reproaches, therefore, are also cast at us Christians because the faith teaches us that Christ died for our sins. And as St. Alphonsus says in his Stations of the Cross, it's, it's the weight not of the cross, but of our sins, which made these suffer so much pain. Yeah. It's a sad choice, this reproach is, because, of course, in this time of pandemic, because the ritual of the faithful kissing the cross has had to be abandoned. Yes. But the church will find another way to continue this powerful ritual. Let's hear your second piece, The Reproaches.
The Good Friday Reproaches, beautifully sung by the Choir of the London Oratory, music for Holy Week and Easter. Wow, quite a choice there, Ken. Thank you. Now, um, let me just tell you that uh, our choices this morning for Songs in the Wilderness have been chosen by Kenneth Wheatcroft, who is our guest. Though you're a Lancashire lad, um, as I well know, Kenneth, you actually have a very strong connection with the Cambridge shop on Trinity Street, which we all used to know and love, and I actually miss very much, just the visuals of it. Indeed, yeah. yeah. It was mm. called, was it called Alan Shepherd? Arthur Shepherd. Arthur Shepherd. Arthur Shepherd, yes. How mm. come, so how come you move from A to B to C? That's quite a transition. Well, we'll go back to where we left off. Um, it was the early to mid-70s. Uh, with the loss of priestly vocation came also the loss of faith. Christianity is like a building, and if you take out one part of it, the whole structure might fall down, and indeed it did for me. I went to work for a computer programming bureau in London, and there I met and fell in love with Julia. She had had a Christian upbringing at her grandparents' church, Holy Trinity, which was then the foremost evangelical church in Cambridge. All right. Um, yeah, and at the Perth School of Girls, Perth School for Girls, she'd been very well grounded in the knowledge of Scripture. But her parents were of a, a modern disposition, and they never had her nor her twin sister baptised. In London, I started taking Julia to famous and beautiful churches, even though I was lapsed. It was rather like taking her to the opera or the ballet, which I also did. <laughs> and one day she said to me, Kenneth, I want to be baptised. And I replied, if you do that, then I will return to the faith because it's the most beautiful thing I've ever known. Okay. <laughs> so that, that is what we did. And I was converted from faithlessness, from the faithlessness I'd fallen into. And we married and we lived our lives together to make a Christian family. Now, going back to your question about Arthur Shepherd, yes. Julia's father was the proprietor of Arthur Shepherd in the second generation of his family. The long established menswear shop in Trinity Street, Cambridge. And he asked us to, to come from London and join him in the business and so continue it into the third generation of Julius' family. We accepted this, and we moved to Cambridge in 1978 with Agnes, our baby daughter, who was then six months. So that, that, my new... That was very a very um, selfless thing to do. I mean, did you, did well, you know Cambridge? I, I, think, I, think, I think Julia's father had seen that, well, he, he, his first concern was for the future of Arthur Shepherd, which he saw otherwise would close, but unless he brought new blood into it. But also I think he, perhaps one thing he didn't see is that we would so quickly become dinosaurs in the world of computer programming that I would, it, it wasn't a future for us either. So it was it was a challenge. It was exciting. Um, Julia's father was a, a very difficult act to follow, um, but I think we made a fair job of it in the end. 
Oh, you did. It was a flourishing shot. It really was. But as I said, I, I, I always, always missed the visuals because you, you used to dress the window. I vividly remember that. Yes, it, I, I did, yes. And now I channel that into once a year I, I dress a chapel in church. Um, I dress the Sacred Heart Chapel for the month of June. So I put my window dressing <laughs> to um, an ecclesiastical use. Well, congratulations on that, because I was there the, the other day lighting a candle. It's it's stunning. It really is. And it's always a bit sad when you take all the red satin down and, and uh, the roses. It's tomorrow. Very oh, it's tomorrow. Oh, well, there you go. So now we're on to your third choice, which is The Lamb's High Banquet We Await. Can you tell yes, us about this choice? Yes, Easter. Easter. Oh, um, yes, yes. Now good. at college in Durham, I, I came to love playing song hymns, and this is my favourite Easter hymn. It conjures the idea of a, a resurrection life in heaven as a banquet mm. in snow-white robes of royal state. Imagery in Christianity, I think we must admit, is a matter of taste. A younger generation might prefer to think of heaven as a, a perpetual Glastonbury, <laughs> in grungy clothes of muddy state. But for me, I take the snow-white robes of royal state. Wonderful. Right, let's hear your third choice. The Lamb's High Banquet, we await.
That was The Lamb's High Banquet We Await, sung by the Hereford Cathedral Choir, Evensong. Um, no, no I, I think that was King's College Choir. Oh, really? Really? Well. Oh, no, no, you're dead right. Yes, you are right. Is it Hereford? Yes, it's Hereford, yeah. They, they sang it almost as well as we sang it in Durham, I think. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's Her Hereford Cathedral. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. Correct. Yeah. Good. Um, so this morning we have Ken we Kenneth Wheatcroft for, as our guest. And have any of Kenneth's music choices inspired you this morning? Do you have any personal connections with hymns or worship music? If so, please email us at music at radiomariaengland.uk. We would love to expand our music library and need your suggestions. But for now, let's talk some more to my guest. I think you have quite a large family. Are they all Cambridge-based, Kenneth? No, no. Um, after Agnes were born Ambrose, Lucy and Aidan. So then we had uh, two girls and two boys. Um, Ambrose and Lucy live in America and Agnes with her family in our, live in our old and beautiful house in Grantchester Road, Cambridge. Which and Aiden, is, sorry, sorry. Which Aidan and I live in a nearby flat. Yeah. What um, I remember about Grantchester Road House was you always had the most wonderful nativity scene that took up the whole front garden. Yeah, that itself. Um, I've still got it. We put it up in the flat now, but the history of that crib would itself justify another desert island discs, I think. Oh, I've... it's quite long. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe yeah. another time. But it was a wonderful Not sight yes. because yeah. you were, you you had lots of lights as well. I mean, it wasn't just under yes, the I, I I loved doing that. We did I know it every, every Christmas for about twenty five years, I think. Yeah, and you used to invite yeah, people in, didn't you? Yeah, for... yeah. But you can't do that in a flat, you see. No, never um, mind. That's it. <laughs> um, so tell us about um, family. About family, yes. Well, and your own personal um, happiness too. Yeah. Um, well, as I say, it's Agnes, Ambrose, Lucy and Aidan. Um, Aidan was born in 1987 and now he's, so now he's 33. And at birth we were told of his Down syndrome. I, I drove home from the Rosie Maternity Hospital and I confronted the crucifix in our bedroom and I prayed for a miracle. Mm. Then I went next door and wept with my neighbour Liz. And Liz with Mike, her husband, and two other friends, Tim and Sue, they would become Aidan's godparents in time. Now, being a parent of a, a disabled child and adult is it's difficult to understand and difficult to cope with, but I thought I'd take this opportunity to say three things about it. Um, firstly, that Aidan is the bond of love which joins our family together. Mm. Secondly, our care for him has brought us into contact with some pretty remarkable people, either parents in the same boat or the caring agencies. But the third point is this, it's about personal happiness, because um, 
when Aidan turned 30, I, I, I suddenly thought, well, what's his 20s been like? What has Aidan's 20s been like? Has he been happier than I was in my 20s? And I've told you a bit about the sorrow of that time. And my answer is yes, his 20s were happier than mine. So my conclusion is that the gift of ability is quite a different thing from the gift of happiness. That's the most profound thought, actually. And also that comparison is so bang on. You know, you always think, oh, you know, I had such a wonderful time and, you know, did he miss out? And what you're saying is he had a better time, which is wonderfully comforting. Anyway, we are now up to your fourth choice of music, which is Come Down, O Love Divine. Yeah, and uh, you can forgive me here by butting in and interrupting and contradicting you on Hereford, because I think this is has been taken from King's College Chapel. Yes, I think he probably has. Yes, well, we'll find out soon. Tell um, us why you chose it. Well... Pentecost brings the Easter season to a wonderful close. We're moving on through the through the church's year. And this is my favourite Whitson hymn. It invokes the Holy Spirit as love divine and comforter. Uh, the, tune, the tune of this is written by Vaughan Williams, the tune Down Amni. And he named it after the Cotswold village where he was born. Vaughan Williams was an incomparable writer and harmonizer of hymn tunes, uh, often basing them on old English folk tunes. Uh, for example, I heard the voice of Jesus say, and O Little Town of Bethlehem. Perhaps his best known tune is that for, for all the saints who from their labors rest, a wonderfully majestic and happy tune. And one, another reason I've chosen Come Down to Love Divine is that I use it almost each day in my morning prayers. Really? Yeah. So you've already prayed this morning using this? I'm a morning person. I used to pray at night, but don't do that anymore because I just... Fall asleep. Yeah, or <laughs> I become repetitive or what. Yes. Yeah, I pray in the morning, and the, the first beginning is almost always an invocation of the Holy Spirit, and I use... Come down, O love divine, descendi amor santo, uh, written in Siena in the 15th century. Wonderful hymn. Yeah. Wonderful, lovely. I can't wait to hear it.
Wonderful. Come down, O oh love divine, sung by King's College, Cambridge. Wonderful choice, Ken. Now, uh, can you tell me what made you decide to become a Catholic? Yes, yes. Well, it was the mid-90s. Oh, really? Uh, the, well, that's where my, this part of my story begins, yeah. Uh, mm. uh, there was a controversy raging in the Church of England over the ordination of women to the priesthood. Oh. And I knew of friends and acquaintances who had become Catholic over this issue or for other reasons. But the issue of the ordination of women to the priesthood is, was not and is still not one of which, about which I have strong opinions. But the climate of that time and what was happening uh, raised in my mind the question, well, what about me? What about me? Because way back in my Durham days, when I was a student, the days following Vatican II, I felt that I would eventually become Catholic. I took my decision in Siena in 1993. Uh, we were on holiday, and on Sunday we went to Mass in the Duomo. It wasn't a special Mass, but it happened to be at the time of the Palio, the famous mm -hmm. horse race which is run in the Campo mm -hmm. of Siena twice every summer. Uh, the high altar was bedecked with the flags of the Contradi or the districts of the city uh, be between which the Palio is contested. That day at Mass, I had a very strong desire to belong to the full communion of the Catholic Church. I had to belong. It was time to belong. This was my decision. Later on, I told Julia. How, how much later on? I can't remember. Probably, it may even have been that night. It may have been when we were back in Cambridge. I, I honestly, to be honest with you, can't remember. But I remember very firmly her reply because it was only one word. She said, good. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> now, I think that revealed an understanding of me which is terribly precious between man and wife. Um, I was received in Cambridge in 1994, the next year, and thereafter we always supported each other in our faith, sharing worship and spiritual communion together frequently in each other's churches. Yeah. That's extraordinary. I suppose it isn't extraordinary. It's a wonderful gift that, to have that tolerance, that, um, that love that's great gift, stretched, yeah. stretched across... Yeah, it is yeah, a gift of love. Down, you love divine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and huge generosity on both your parts. Yeah. Mm. How wonderful. Oh, heavens, now your next piece, the fifth one, your penultimate choice of music is from Cosi Fantuti. Tell us about this. I'm, I'm, really, I'm already excited about it. Well, I've mentioned a lot about beauty, about the beauty of holiness, about uh, Julia being baptised and my replying, oh, well, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever known, so I'll do it. And it, so I've chosen this because um, I do see that beauty in music, ballet, opera, painting, architecture, it points to the divine. It points to a world beyond our compre comprehension, outside our world. 
it's not difficult to choose a beautiful piece of music. I've chosen this trio from Cosi Fantuti by Mozart. Um, the sisters Fiordaligi and Dorabella with Don Alfonso, they sing of the apparent departure of their lovers by ship for military service. They sing, may the wind be gentle and the sea be calm and may the elements respond kindly to our wishes and we all wish that for all our lives. Perhaps a departing ship isn't a good choice for being on a desert island um, <laughs> because I really want to settle and enjoy it there. Beautiful, let's hear it. Well, Ken, you've managed to reduce me to tears on air. It's the most beautiful piece of music. It's absolutely mm -hmm. ravishing. And wow. when you consider that Mozart died at age 35 and the treasures he gave to the world, it, it does point to something quite beyond ourselves, I think. Oh, complete genius, completely. Um, well, 
Right, we're coming on to the end of uh, your choices, but and 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 also after um, a very long and long and happy marriage, a beautiful marriage from the sound of it, uh, the loss of Julia um, that must have been unbearable for you, Ken. Well, I bore it, but at the end, it was that at the end of two thousand ten, Julia was found to have an incurable cancer. And she was given less than a year to live. Every day I prayed for a miracle. Now, St. James in his, in his epistle wrote that you don't get what you ask for because you ask for the wrong thing. And I found that a remark that is not very helpful at all. I've never found that helpful. But perhaps our prayers were granted because Julia lived for another four years in reasonable health until she died in January 2015. Uh, before she died, we decided to sell our beautiful Grantchester Roadhouse to our elder daughter Agnes as her family home. And after Julia died, uh, Aidan and I moved uh, to this flat round the corner I continued with the shop, Arthur Shepherd, until 2017, when, age 70, I closed it and retired. What was that like, that moment of closing that door? I mean, it was also part of Julia's life as well, and her father and their... Well, husband. it was one of those things which I thought I wouldn't be able to cope with. Uh, really? But I was given huge help in coping with it, and in particular, the support of my wonderful caring staff and of course they all had loved Julia too yes so they cared for me and also I was greatly helped by Trinity College our landlord oh, who right. made my departure easy helped me mm. um, now passing on to the end of my looking at the church's year I, I um when we moved to this flat, it was, of course, a downsizing. So I had to decide what possessions to bring with us. And I began to realize that the older one gets, the more memory takes over. Everything, books, pictures, furniture, photos, everything comes with a memory. Mm. So as winter comes to the church and the nation, we mark it with the celebration of remembrance focused on the cenotaph in Whitehall. And my final choice is the musical heart of that ceremony, Nimrod, by the great English composer Edward Elgar. On my side of the family, that there are no military memories, but the Lord said that greater love is no man but to lay down his life for his friends. So the national celebration of remembrance is meaningful for every Christian. And, of course, at the heart of our faith, the thing we do day by day and Sunday by Sunday is a thing done in memory of him. So, remembrance. And this piece is also the, played by, the is it the, the Grimthorpe Colliery Band? Yes, uh, I wanted the mass bands of the household division who play it in Whitehall, but there's a problem there with copyright. So... Even though it was written for orchestra, 
it is in fact wonderful by a band and we've chosen the Grimethorpe Colliery Band. I don't think they have the cymbals and the drums of the household division, but you can't destroy a beautiful thing if you're as good as the Grimethorpe Colliery. And they'll certainly have the brass. Let's hear it. Nimrod from the Enigma Variations. Nimrod from the Enigma Variations by the Grimethorpe Colliery Band. I actually really like that um, that yeah. version. Really, Very really good. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Did you ever play in the coll- in, in the brass band? Uh, not a colliery brass band, but they no, have. I, 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 I never played. 
I never played any musical instrument. I tried to learn the violin, but I was hopeless. <laughs> but you're a good singer. I've heard you singing in, at church. Well, I'm a retired choir boy, so, yeah, I can sing. Yeah, I know you can. Ken, it's been a real, real pleasure talking to you and hearing about your life and the wonderful scenarios that you have been through and lived through and, and suffered and enjoyed. I've really enjoyed every minute of it, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Di, and thank you, Radio Maria, and thank you to all listeners who've listened. You can hear Kenneth Wheatcroft again on Radio Maria England on Thursday at 9pm, Saturday at 7.30pm, Tuesday 2am, and on Wednesday at 11am. You can always catch up with Songs in the Wilderness through podcasts available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Overcast, Anchor, and many other podcast services. Please join me live next Wednesday morning. But for now, thank you for joining me today for Songs in the Wilderness on Radio Maria England. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.